Welcome back into The Mental Game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week we have another amazing guest on the podcast. She is known by most as the drunk co-worker who took Casual Friday just a little too far playing Meredith on The Office. She is Kate Flannery, and this was an awesome interview. Obviously, we talk a lot about The Office and her experience being on one of the greatest TV shows to ever hit the airwaves, but also we dive into Kate's mental health journey why she decided to start going to therapy, her life as a struggling actress out in Hollywood before getting that job on The Office, while also dealing with relationship drama. We get into all of that and much more in an amazing conversation. I think you'll benefit from it just as much as I did. But before we get started, let's go to our mental health tip of the week, powered by One in Five. In many ways, life is a balancing act. We're constantly juggling between work, home, family, health, and relationships. So creating balance in our life is an essential part of wellness. It's important to make sure we have time to do the things that make us feel happy and fulfilled, not just the things we have to do. Balance is not something you find. It is something you create. Planning ahead, creating routines, asking for help when you need it, Saying no and focusing on today are all ways to help create balance. And if you or someone you know needs help finding a therapist or mental health resources, go ahead and scan the QR code in the bottom right corner of the screen. It'll be up this entire episode and it'll take you directly to One in Five's homepage where their mission is to prevent suicide by stopping the stigma and starting the conversation. Speaking of conversations, it is now time to hear from Kate Flannery right here on the mental game, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube and if you're just listening on the podcast platforms, I am wearing a Kevin's Famous Cincinnati Chili t-shirt, so I'm a huge Office fan. I can't wait to share this conversation. So without further ado, here is the mental game with Kate Flannery. Welcome back into the mental game. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest from my favorite TV show, The Office. Everyone, please welcome in Kate Flannery. Kate, I am so excited to have you on here. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. How are you? Or whatever time of day it is. Yeah, I don't know. We're we're in LA. Time doesn't really matter here. We, we tried right, to do right. this in person, couldn't figure it out. I feel like I'm at uh, the wedding scene where you know Dwight is about to bust in, or Jim is when Angela's waiting here in the hotel room. Uh, thanks again for coming on. The first thing I ask everyone on this podcast is, what does mental health mean to you? So I ask you the same thing. Some people use it as you know a tool, how they use mental health as a tool throughout their life. Maybe it's something they've discovered more recently. So what does mental health mean to you? Well, mental health has definitely been a tool through my life. And I think that as artists, we are more sensitive and it shows up in uh, differently in different people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, co and comedians, sometimes it makes them more of a wise ass uh, because they're <laughs> defensive. Um, and some people, they're mean, some people are, uh, you know, they're criers or exploders. Um, but I think that, you know, I think the thing about being in show business, it's a very, um, erratic, crazy, uh, sometimes impersonal business. Yeah. And we're very personal people as artists. So it's, it's a weird mix. And, uh, sometimes it feels like you're on a roller coaster. And I feel like if you don't have a strong foundation or if you don't know how to take care of yourself and keep what you do sacred and safe, uh, then it can really be, um, you know, a tough road. I'm curious to know, when did you know that you wanted to be an artist and, and be in, in the show business, you know, whether it be 
theater, TV, comedy, and what was that road like? Because everyone has a different story, but it, it can be a rough one as you're getting your kickstart. Yeah, no, as, as a kid, I wanted to be a child actor, but my, my mom was not very cooperative. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Okay. I'm grateful because, uh, yeah, a lot of kid actors that I know, eh, they kind of got thrown under the bus and yeah. uh, they have a lot to figure out and they kind of have trouble getting out of this one lane that they've created for themselves. And luckily I got to go all over the place and then find my lane. Yeah. Which I think kind of a safer road ultimately. Uh, there are exceptions, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I always knew that I wanted to do this. And I I consider myself a late bloomer because I was pursuing at a young age and just didn't really, I mean, I had some minor successes. Yeah. Um, I also had some, you know, some big no's. Uh, I was up for SNL um, oh. back in the early 90s, did not get it. Uh, had a friend, I was doing a show and two with, with two women who actually booked it. Yeah. And one play lasted a season, one was three seasons. It's just like, it was just, it's crazy. Um, so I had a long road between my SNL audition and, um, the office. I think it was, uh, was it 12 years? Holy cow. 12 years. Yeah. Long time, long time, a lot of waiting tables, a lot of like, you know, um, just humbling, um, <laughs> sleeping on couches, doing off Broadway, not getting paid well, but yeah. still figure out the money thing, but oh. also, you know, just figure out how to take care of myself and my you know, just the pressure, just, just to, to know that like, I'm on the right track, even if it's not happening, you know, quickly, it's like, I, but I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. When you're, when you're grinding like that, you said there was a 12 year gap from that SNL audition to you getting the part as Meredith on the office. How do you keep chugging along and, and keep, I mean, cause it's not a couple years. That's a whole decade of trying to keep your mental health intact. How tough was that for you? Well, you know, I, I feel like um, I got pretty real because I was making some bad decisions. I had like a bad boyfriend that I should never have shared money with and, you know, didn't know that he was bipolar until after, you know, my, there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. My dad owned a bar. I mean, what a shock. Irish uh, Catholic <laughs> from a big family and to have alcoholism. But, you know, it definitely played a role. And for me, it's like I had to figure out kind of what, what was real, what my self-perception was, what I could um, you know, what I could accept and what I couldn't, and also just how to, um, how to navigate, um, the, the rejection without stopping me. Yeah. I, I feel that. And, and TV business too, just working in sports, you put out of your resume tapes, you do auditions and you don't get it and you just have to keep on going. Uh, when you did get that call, what was that moment like when you when you were able to get the part of Meredith for the office? Well, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know. Well, I replaced somebody from the pilot, so I always felt like, uh oh, got to be careful because yeah. if I replace somebody, then I could be replaced. Um, so the first season, I was like, Ugh. so I kept my restaurant job for a season because I didn't know if we were going to get picked up, and I was like, you know what, I don't need to start a new job. I was forty. I was like, I need to just cover my shifts during the week and work my Sunday brunch and keep my head down and hope for the best. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's crazy to me that, that you were still working your restaurant job out, yeah. out in LA. I mean, did, did people recognize you when you, I when started you were... to a little bit, but yeah. I had been recognized from a stage show that I did at, that went off Broadway. And so I feel like I had a little bit of like that, Hey, I know who you are from some people, you know, yeah. um, as it was specific uh niche but uh but yeah it happened from time to time but, you know i mean there's that there's no shame in in earning and i think that a lot of times 
you know, actors are too concerned about perception and then they're a little too desperate when they go in for auditions because they need the money. And I feel like, right. well, I don't need the money. I'm fine. You know, I mean, I sure it'd be nice to have more money, but I can pay my bills. I just feel like sometimes there's a weird extra edge of desperation that does not need to be in the room when you're auditioning for something. Right. Well, we'll get into a bunch of the fun stories from the office here a little bit later in the podcast, but I'm curious those first, well, the pilot and that first season when it gets picked up, I mean, what's going through your head, you, you know, your castmates head when things start to go well. I mean, I, I hear it from a lot of other interviews from who, whether it be, you know, Jenna or, or Steve say, we didn't think it was going to happen. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to pick up. What was it like those first few weeks seeing it start to gain traction? Well, a lot of it had to do with, um, we, we had just started season two. I just quit my job. I was like, okay, I'm quitting my restaurant job. And there were billboards all around town with Steve Carell and the 40 year old virgin. And that was about to come out. I think we were all working on the second or third episode when that, um, premiere, when we all got invited to the, to the premiere. And I just remember that night was such a big night and Ben Stiller was there and, um, uh, Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell. And I, I recently talked to Ben Stiller about this, um, I was like, I felt like you guys were just checking out the new guy. And he said, that's exactly what we were doing. Cause Steve was like coming out really big and, and 40 year old virgin was a huge hit. And I thought, Oh my God, we're with that guy. And I knew Steve from Chicago from second city days, but I still was like, Oh my gosh, this is, he has, he has broken open. This is it. And we are with this guy. So I had a profound feeling that evening that our show was going to really benefit from from being with, you know, such a funny guy who was actually getting seen like in, in a, on a big stage. Well, it certainly turned out that way. It's crazy to me. I mean, I, I grew up watching the show and now seeing, I mean, I rewatched it a dozen times on Netflix and you have these younger generations that are too. Um, was it as fun filming the show as it looks when you watch it? Really it? it really was. I mean, I will tell you as an actor, you know, I learned how to stop counting lines because like, that's the thing like where sometimes you feel like, Oh, you know, I got to stand up for myself. I need to talk more. I realized I did not need to talk more. I was actually fine with it. I loved the way they used my character. Sometimes my lines would get cut because my face sort of said what I was thinking anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I really kind of leaned into the physical comedy and just kind of understanding that somebody, you can, a character can have presence and actually, you know, feel, see, be seen without talking a right. lot, you know? And sometimes talking more, people tune you out. If you, if I hate when they take characters and, they suddenly talk more later in different seasons and suddenly what's funny about them isn't funny anymore because they're doing all this exposition. So I was so comfortable just trusting that when I did show up big, it was worth the wait. Like getting hit by a car or <laughs> out of your head and yeah, on my head and um, yeah, getting my hair on fire and getting dragged to rehab. Yeah. Did you do all your own stunts? Uh, I did a lot of my stunts. Um, we always had stunt stunt women, um, stunt people, um, but I, I really wanted to get in there. I, I did the um, car stunt first, and I was like, that was really fun. Like, I really <laughs> so, And I think it's funnier if you can see that it's me, you know, because I hit the glass. You see it's my face on the glass. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had fun. I did not, uh, I did not um, set my hair on fire. And uh, <laughs> a couple of things, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really shave my head. But I, did, you know, had to do the bald cap and everything, so. How? I want to ask uh, the question I got back to a question ago was you talk about making your lines count and not getting too worked up or worried about 
maybe not being that main character as an actress or in that business, do you find that hard because a lot of people want want to have that fame and that spotlight the entire show? Yes, it's hard and it's, uh, I mean, that's one thing I'll say though, I feel like The Office was a pretty healthy environment. Um, sometimes people get crazy and it makes other people crazy yeah. and it, it, it's like a wildfire and you can't put it out. So I felt like that was never really the case. I mean, occasionally people, you know, would be like, well, uh, I don't know, they'd have some moments, but I, I felt like that was, I could, I, I was not in their lane. I had to stay in my lane. And I, I felt very clear about that. And that's why I'm really grateful that I was 40 when I got the office. If I was in my twenties, I don't know if I would have um, had the wisdom to just shut up and, and have fun. Right. Well, it seemed like, like I said, you guys had a lot of fun on camera, off camera. Was that group really like a family off camera too? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that no one was famous when we first started. Right. Um, you know, Rain had done the movie Sahara and uh, Galaxy Quest. Uh, John was in a couple, but very small parts in movies. Yeah. And Steve had done a few movies. He even did a Woody Allen movie, but had never really popped. You know. Right. How does it, I was gonna say? How does that help you guys grow as as actors, but as people too? When you're coming up on this show that eventually explodes into one of the biggest in the world, but you start from the bottom together. I, ha I have to imagine growing together like that had to be beneficial for everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it keeps everybody grounded. And um, I, again, I think, you know, nobody really gets ahead of themselves. And um, Steve certainly made sure that the show was more important than than he was, which is, which yeah. is, you know, I mean, that's, he's a really evolved guy to do that. Cause a lot of number ones on shows, especially men, like they like to hold court and kind of hold everybody hostage. And it's kind of all about them. and. Steve's not like that. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is go back and watch the blooper reel. Well, is there a scene that stands out that like you guys had to shoot like 10, 15 times that you just couldn't get through? The main one uh, was um, it was the Christmas episode where Michael Scott was competing with uh, with Phyllis to be Santa Claus. And <laughs> I was on Phyllis's lap and uh, Kevin was on on Michael Scott's lap and Kevin <laughs> did not. Steve was playing it like Kevin weighed 4,000 pounds. He was like, <laughs> oh my God, we could not breathe. We were laughing so hard. That was a really hard scene to get through. I, as, so, as someone who's just a random office fan, I'm here in LA. I got a, a couple free hours. I'm going to go check out the lot. Like, is it just, I remember, I think I heard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I heard Jenna talk about it. Like, you guys weren't on a main lot. You weren't at Warner Brothers. No, you we weren't. Our own, yeah, it was Chandler Valley Studios and, uh, it was nice. It was a closed set. So there weren't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of showbiz extra BS happening, which was great. Yeah. And again, that was another thing that kept us like grounded. And, uh, but yeah, it was nice to kind of, you know, you didn't have to go through 14 layers of security. Actually, at first we didn't have any security. And then someone, a paparazzi fellow, John Krasinski in one time and, and they're like, okay, we got it. Okay. Now we got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that took a couple of years. Um, yeah. But it was nice. You know, I just felt like the car drove itself there and it was just nice to kind of have it just be us. And again, that sort of contributed to the family vibe with the crew and the cast. Well, just us. Another, yeah. Another part of that family vibe. And I've seen Jenna and Angela post about it on uh, Instagram with their office ladies podcast is the watch parties that y'all had. Yeah. How, how unique was that? When did you do that for, a, like a long time like throughout the seasons or how did that work we did it the first two seasons right. yeah um 
And then uh, everybody turned into a douchebag. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, 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 no. You can't. That's how it works. Like, it's show people business. People got busy, but people people got busy, and I totally, you know, we couldn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, and um, but it was fun, and it it definitely, you know, it kept us like invested in a real in a real way that was really honest, and no one took any of it for granted. Do you feel like your your path to to where you're at now? I mean, the office is what you're known. You're known as Meredith. I think that's pretty clear now. But when you look back at your journey, would you have changed anything about it? Or do you think it kind of happened the way it was supposed to happen? Well, I certainly had a lot of failures um, and some, you know, disappointments for sure. Um, But I also realized that I don't know if I could have handled anything sooner. I I think it was really like the, the timing was, was really good for me. You know, even despite, you know, despite the the setbacks. What, what were the toughest parts when that show started to gain traction? I mean, obviously your life changes where you can't go out and grab coffee. You can't go have dinner without, like you said, paparazzi showing up to the set or showing up to where you're out at. What was that like? I mean, to be clear, I'm not, I'm not Britney Spears. No one's chasing me down the street. (laughs) It's weird to get used to. Like I can remember being at the Jersey Shore at my dad's house on the boardwalk and like these kids started running toward me so i started running and then i was like wait a minute what am i doing just stop like say hi like what's it's it's not that big of a deal you know i'm just saying like i'm not i'm not it's a champagne problem is what it is you know and and (laughs) people are generally really really nice and luckily there's a lot of goodwill for everyone in the office i don't think there's really not many smart asses really i mean people i know sometimes people get negative attention if they play like a mean character or something and i've had people say like oh everybody hates you but i love you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I thought I thought you were like the lovable fun drunk, which I was gonna my my, my next I thought. Oh, my next question was how much of you talked about the Irish Catholic background, dad owning a bar, how much of your real life went into that character? Because I know for some they brought some characteristics into it. Well, I know I think that Meredith is an extremely unselfconscious human being, which is very Irish. Like I know a lot of Irish women who like, they don't care, you know, they don't wear makeup. They don't care. They're just kind of, and they and they don't apologize. I apologize all the time. I wish I was more like uh, Meredith in that respect. Um, but I don't think she, I think she understood like who she, who she was. I, I think she had no, I think she was shameless, you know, yeah. just really matter of fact. And, you know, and didn't really waste a lot of energy trying to get people to see her side of things. I'll ask you this, uh, fa- and it's hard to pick one, I'm sure, but is there a favorite memory from that show? Well, it's so hard to pick one, but... Um, you, I, I'm assuming someone's remember, asked you this before, yeah. I just remember, you know, at our our last day, um, we all, right before we shot the last scene, we all went, John Krasinski invited us into his trailer. We all did a toast. It was just us. And it was so sweet. And then I remember we came out and we went to do the last scene and we thought we were going to be done in like, you know, 45 minutes. We were all two hours late for our wrap party because no one wanted it to end. Like none of the producers, Greg Daniels, it was like, he just wanted us like, how about this? Try this. He just felt like we just couldn't leave, which says so much about that experience. Life after the office. What has that been like? Uh, for you, you've done a lot of exciting things. Still being being in TV. I know you're singing. You're going on tour soon in December. What's uh, what's life been like since? 
you know, life has been good. Um, I've had a lot of flexibility, which I'm super grateful for. Um, my dad's in his late nineties. He's actually, he's 98. He's going to be 99 in two months. So I'm really happy that I get to go see him as much as I do. Cause he's, he's still a great guy. He's still got all his marbles and he ran Flannery's Tavern for years. And, uh, yes, I'm a borrower's daughter and proud. Where's Flannery's Tavern at? It was in Philadelphia. Okay. Does it still exist or it no? no more, but yeah. Oh. What's that? I was asking if it still existed. That'd be great. No, no, I know. I know. And well, for a while, my, my dad was working when he sold the bar in 1998, he started working for my, my brother had a bar, uh, in downtown Philly called TA Flannery's and my dad worked there for 15 years. So my dad worked until he was 87 years old <laughs> anyway. But I, what I was going to say is that, you know, I've had, you know, Jane Lynch and I've been touring since, uh, I think it's been eight years now. Um, we missed one year of COVID, but that was it. Um, but we did a Christmas album called Swing a Little Christmas. We sing with this amazing group of musicians, the Tony Guerrero Quintet. They're awesome. And we've gotten to play the Kennedy Center and the Carlisle and all these really wonderful, wonderful places and actually like see people, you know, and, and um, it's it's been awesome. And we get to create our own material. And, you know, I mean, we sing other people's songs, but we right. there's a lot of comedy in it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's been a, a total joy. I've done a lot of guest stars. I was on Young Sheldon and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl and a show called um, uh, Another Period on Comedy Central. And I've done a lot of cartoon uh, stuff for Cartoon Network. I'm still yeah. doing a lot of voiceover stuff. Um, I was on Steven Universe for five episodes and a show called OKKO. OK I did um, a ton of episodes. Um, so, you know, I feel... I feel lucky. I mean, I've done like dozens of indie films and um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. It's, it's been very interesting. And I don't know if I'm ever going to have a, a regular show again. I don't know if that's in the cards and it's, it's, I'm okay with it. I, I, I almost feel like um, whatever's uh, creatively available to me. I'm like, I, I did dancing with the stars a few years ago and I, right. I didn't, I could do it. And I did it. I'm like, Oh my God. I didn't even think I could sing with Jane. Because <laughs> I, I always I used to have a comedy act called the Lampshades that I did for years, right. like a dying lounge act. But I, I was in character and I felt like, can I be myself? It's really hard for me yeah. initially. Um, but again, that comes down to kind of trusting the process and and understanding, like, you know, as we get older, there's things that we have to accept about ourselves and what we don't like, we get to work on, um, but we still have to face it, you know. And that everything that every misstep I took still led me to a great place because I had help, I had support, um, and I was eager to get better if I was really uh, just, um, if my thinking was really off and, and I, if, I, if I really was struggling, because um, I, I did struggle you know, with a lot of, um, a lot of loss and, and a lot of like, what, what is the reality of what I'm pursuing and what can I accept and what can I accept? You mentioned you're in a great place now, but I want to circle back to the question you kind of just posed yourself. What what did you struggle with with that? Was it the loss of the show going away or the loss of not being able to get a, like get a main job before then? What kind of were the main things that you struggled I, with? I think it was before. I mean, I think I think since the office, I'm I'm I don't feel as uh, volatile. I feel like, you know, I mean, again, when you when you re, it's like when one of your when, when your dreams come true, like ho you, uh, hopefully it, it take, leaves you in a great place for a long time. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I just think the struggle, I mean, I, I, 
I slept on couches for a long time because I, I had to declare bankruptcy because of a crazy ex I, I shouldn't say crazy, sorry, a bipolar ex-boyfriend who I did not know was bipolar at the time. Uh, didn't know until we broke up. Uh, but again, there was like a behavior pattern and I realized I could not blame him. I'm the one that allowed, you know, um, my uh, my boundaries to to uh, go away. And I need, you need your boundaries. <laughs> you yeah. need to listen to your boundaries. And it, it, you know, through, luckily through therapy and through some 12 step work and, and Al-Anon, like, I feel like I've, I've worked very, very hard to understand my side of the street and that you can't control other people and you can't blame other people and you can, but it's kind of a waste of energy. Yeah. As, as someone who went through, you know, a lot of mental health problems myself and went through a toxic relationship breakup, I totally understand that part of it. Uh, I want to ask, what are some of the things you do to make sure that your mental health is in the right spot? Have you, I mean, after that, I know back, back when that happened, mental health probably wasn't at the forefront publicly. So I don't know if therapy was an option for you, if that's something you've done. It was, it, it was, luckily it was. I actually was, it's so funny. I remember I was at Andy Richter's Christmas party. Andy Richter and I came up uh, together uh, in Chicago. We took our, like our, I think it was his, my second improv class. It was his first. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I was at his party. He was at Conan. It was like this fancy party. And there was a friend of his whose wife was a therapist. And I remember like, I met her and I was like, can I call you? <laughs> I was <laughs> So yeah, and like she was a she was finishing her practice, like she was getting her practice. So she had a, she was she came very um, inexpensive, which was great because she was yeah. also a student. So and at the time I was I was still struggling financially, so it worked out great for me. But I I feel like between therapy and just going to meetings, I feel like I, you know, got to take an inventory of my, you know, what what I what my expectations were of myself and other people and how that really. Um, was a dangerous thing for me at times because it it um, it just put me behind the eight ball. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized, like you know, the shame of things not working out and having to clear bankruptcy because if you if you share credit with someone that you're not married to, you can't divorce them. So it was it was just like a tough time. I I, I luckily I had a lot of friends in New York and I I slept on couches for like nine months. I mean I really. I had to start over. I'd had some success, some success in Chicago. And I feel like when I got to New York after that, I was like, oh my God, like, I just felt like mistake, mistake. But even though I was doing an off-Broadway show that was a hit and I was like in a magazine, I was in Interview Magazine. And I feel like the, the, the month that Interview Magazine came out, everything fell apart for me. But I do believe that when things fall apart, if you really do the work, the heavy lifting and, and you know, just have the humility to face your own, imperfections and and yeah. you know um and failures like i think you i think you're i think not being right is a great thing <laughs> when i'm right i'm usually in trouble you know yeah well i love that message it's very inspiring the last thing i want to ask you unless there's something you want to add into the conversation is what advice would you give to someone that wants to be an actor be a comedian do improv because I think a lot of people watching this are probably going to be fans of yours sure. and, or, and people that want to do what you did curious what your best advice would be to them. Well, you know, I think that the process is very sacred. I think we just have to be careful when there's big shows or big opportunities, not to let the critics. And I mean, even if they're family members and loved, loved ones, I feel like, you know, don't answer the text. Don't take the call. Just keep your head, you know, keep it, Keep yourself in 
process of what you're doing and keep it keep it sacred um because there's people that even even though they love you they may not they may be afraid of you getting bigger or uh or moving away or being different and it, that's a lot to carry and on top of you pursuing your dreams so i just feel like having compassion for the people but also just taking care of yourself and it's not really a conversation it's not like i'm not i'm i'm not going to take it's like oh i just saw you they don't need to know what they what they need to know is that that uh you have enough uh self-care and self-love to pursue what you're pursuing let the chips fall where they may and just just know that it's not a punishment to go to therapy it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong it doesn't mean you're a mess. It, it actually uh, is um, you learning your truth and learning how to accept and love yourself. Couldn't say it any better myself. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the mental Thank game. You so much. <laughs> this is this has been a great conversation, and I'm sure a lot of people are gonna enjoy listening to it. Kate, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. And the other thing I was gonna add is that like it's really hard to change without outside help. I mean, you're yeah. kind of asking yourself to learn another language that, without really hearing it. I tried to do it for 12 years and I finally went to therapy and best decision I ever made. Dude, right? I mean, yeah, and, and there are some bad therapists out there. So if you don't like who you're going to, you know, ask your friends or or just keep shopping. But there's somebody out there if you really, you know, I'm just saying that there's nothing's perfect. Uh, so And it's not a black and white situation. Right. It's like, it's kind of gray. So you got to, feel the love and the care. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's so worth it. It really is. I feel like the luckiest person on earth. I really, really do. Well, thank you so much. I feel lucky getting to talk with you about mental health. We'll see everybody back here next week on the mental game. And that was an awesome conversation with Kate, not just about the office, but you can tell she is also passionate about mental health. And she told me before we started that interview that she's never really done an interview about her own mental health. So she was happy to open up and hopefully help people listening out there that are fans of hers and fans of The Office. Coming up next Tuesday on the next episode of The Mental Game, this is my favorite episode to date because it is personal to me. My next guest is Mark E. Basie, who is my favorite musical artist. He's a great singer from San Francisco. We met out in L.A. at his house, and it was an amazing emotional episode for me because his music literally saved my life. I listened to it during my darkest days when I was super depressed, when I was in that mental health hospital, and when I was suicidal. So this episode is super meaningful to me. I think you'll really love it, and I can't wait to share that conversation next week right back here on The Mental Game. <laughs>